In a way, we've had it made here in America in terms of physical defense. We've got a great big ocean to our left, another great big ocean to our right. It's very unique in the world. Much of the world is extremely crowded. That's why much of the world is a bit more internationally minded than we are. And too often, we let the fake news tell us what's happening internationally. They are so wrong about what's happening between Hamas and Israel. They're trying to present this as uh, there are two reasonable sides here having a dispute. Israel, the aggressor. That is not true. This is good versus evil. As simple as that. Good versus evil. Israel is our friend and ally. Hamas, meanwhile, it's a terrorist organization. They are committed to the destruction of Israel. They are corrupt. They are homophobic. They are terrible on human rights. And yes, they have used children as human shields. But why does the fake news all the time try to present this as if they're co-equal sides having a dispute? Just see all these innocent people dying on both sides. And I want to bring you two perspectives from either side of this conflict. To have a level of hopelessness on both sides, you know. Both sides seem to be fighting to restore a status quo. A week of accelerated warfare later, fear, death, suffering on both sides. Both sides, both sides, both sides. When we were attacked on September 11, 2001 in this country, did you hear both sides very often? No, we were attacked by a terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, facilitated by the Taliban. It was us versus them. They were the bad guys, and pretty much everybody accepted that, at least at first. Now, we struck back, and we struck back hard. Coalition airstrikes started the following month. Now, it's true. There was collateral damage. There is in every war. Non-combatants, women and children, do get killed. And this is why war is to be avoided. It should only be a last resort. Another reason why this was a huge mistake for Hamas to be the aggressor here. Very big mistake. Where are we right now? We've got a lot of problems in the world and here at home. Hamas, Israel, that's a problem. We've got our border out of control and big time gas lines. But if you're a Democrat and out of power, or maybe he's got more power than ever before. Barack Obama, life is pretty good right now. The one, the only, President Barack Obama is here on the Late Show. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can... Wait. Wait. Hang on. <laughs> All right. Did he's you, having did the time of his life. Selling possibly, what is it, the seventh or eighth book about himself. Um, all right. He's trying to make this about public service. It's not. It's about him. But here's his uh, official version of what's happening right now. I want to tell a more personal story that might inspire young people considering a life of public service. How my career in politics really started with a search for a place to fit in a way to explain the different strands of my mixed-up heritage, and how it was only by hitching my wagon to something larger than myself that I was ultimately able to locate a community and purpose for my life. Me, me, me. My, my, my. My life. My this. My that. And he's trying to say that this is about public service. Unfortunately, he helped in a way ruin public service because everybody knows how rich he is, how much money he made, and how much money he will make. You know, when he was president, when he was president, he made $20 million. Did you know that? No, 
I didn't either. 20 million when he was president, book sales, that kind of thing. And he is on track to becoming the first billionaire ex-president ever that we've ever had. This will keep him on private jets and hanging around with spectacular people like Richard Branson. Now, you could say that's all well and good. I mean, what's the problem? Well, this is a problem because others in public service think they can do the same thing. Andrew Cuomo, getting a lot of attention. People were talking about him being president. Wow, this could be great. I could be like Barack Obama. And he did a very stupid thing. He signed a book deal in the middle of the COVID crisis. The advance, over $5 million. Does that make a lot of sense? No, that is offensive. But that's kind of the name of the game right now. It's not public service. It's cashing in. That's what they all do. I'll say this about President Bush. At least he basically has kept his mouth shut, basically, and went away and, you know, did some amateurish paintings. That's fine. Public service used to be about public service. Now it's about big bucks and post-service opportunities. Public service now looks like this. Kids on the streets yelling their heads off about stuff they don't understand and populating their Instagram feed with all kinds of images of them virtue signaling on the street. That's really sad, but this is what Barack Obama thinks now of public service. He's always talking about the young people and how smart they are and how they're onto something and they don't trust our institutions. And this is the result. We have a society now, young people in particular, checked out on Netflix and weed. Is that the kind of country you want to live in, that I want to live in? No, it's not. Fortunately, I feel like this is all temporary. Public service, no way. They went into service, public service, to profit, and they did. One guy I know went into it to give back, truly give back, this guy. Ultimately, I'm always right. You know, Barack Obama got to D.C. He was still in his early 40s, and he had a young family and not much money. It made sense that he was looking for opportunity. This man got to Washington, D.C. He was already a billionaire. This is a moment from the Republican National Convention. It says a lot. He didn't do it for money or power or fame. He had all that. He had all that, and that is so unique. Again, so many of them go to Washington, D.C. to get money, to get fame, to get power. He had it, and he went there to give something back to the American people. I hope he gets a chance to do that again. I'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, where real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels. And switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda. No spin. Just the facts. Millions watch us. So can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can, I can say, say is that the fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, it, do they? They don't. And whenever we raise a little question about the fairness of the 2020 election, 
What do they hit us with? This. The need by modern Republicans to now accept and promulgate the big lie. Arizona Republicans forced the audit in an effort to support the big lie that Donald Trump only lost because of widespread fraud. You see Republican leaders pushing the big lie. They perpetrated this big lie about fraud when there was absolutely no election fraud. Now, as for me, yeah, I do have concerns about the fairness of the election, and there are a lot of unanswered questions. They say big lie all the time. Did they ever say it about Hillary Clinton? You know, she's been whining about the 2016 election for uh, almost five years now. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. You could run the best campaign. You could be the nominee, but you could still lose because, number one, you could lose with voter suppression, or you could lose because of hacking and theft of material. Well, I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. I don't know that we'll ever know everything that happened, but clearly we know a lot and are learning more every day. And history will probably sort it all out. There were many funny things that happened in my election that will not happen again. You sense a double standard here and a bunch of different reasons. Well, one of the key reasons, he ran a better campaign than you did and he beat you. And by the way, the Russia thing, a great big hoax. All right, on to what's happening today. Ooh, yes, we have the conflict uh, in the Middle East and Joe Biden got acquainted with Israel-hating Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, he seems to really like this woman. We'll get to her uh, warm moment with the president in a moment. But first, some highlights from Rashida Tlaib, squad member and Israel hater. Billions of dollars every year being issued to Israel, even though they are promoting racism and dehumanization. Palestinians aren't going anywhere, no matter how much money you send to Israel's apartheid government. It is our duty to end the apartheid system that for decades has subjected Palestinians to inhumane treatment and racism. How many Palestinians have to die for their lives to matter? Their homes have been demolished, that they've been targeted, that, they, that violence has been met by uh, Israeli-led forces uh, under Netanyahu's racist policies. What we're really telling Palestinians fighting apartheid is the same thing being told to my fellow black Americans across our country here. So obviously anti-Israel. And then there's this, which is um, horrific. Well, this is a kind of a calming feeling I always tell folks. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives their livelihood, the human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post the Holocaust. A warming feeling that she receives uh, when she thinks of the Holocaust. This is a crazy person, uh, in my opinion. But Joe Biden, I uh, just seems to want to have uh, tea with the family. I'm Rashid. Talib, where's Rashid? I tell you what, Rashid, I want to say to you that uh, I admire your intellect, I admire your passion, and I admire your concern for so many other people. 
and it's my from my heart. I pray that your grandma and family are well. I promise you I'm going to do everything to see that they are on the West Bank. You're a fighter, and God, thank you for being a fighter. He said this today in Michigan. He admires her intellect, her passion, and on and on. How about condemning her obvious hatred? How about backing a resolution to uh, possibly kick her out of the House of Representatives? That's what she deserves. Meanwhile, the behavior of the media and the pro-Palestinian movement in this country, this happened right outside my office window today here in New York. Now, you see these folks coming down? They are stopping traffic. They are marching against traffic. Nobody can move. No ambulance can get moved. Nothing. Because they are spouting anti-Semitic, anti-Israel lies in the streets of our country. Again, New York. And uh, borderline scary for some of the people who could not move. All right. Meanwhile, we have this, you know, the summer of police violence, um, alleged police violence. We heard about it time and time again. Now we're hearing some of those stories become undone. We're learning the facts, finally. There were calls for justice and transparency at the funeral of a man killed by sheriff's deputies in North Carolina. Andrew Brown Jr.'s sons were among the speakers yesterday. He had seven kids. The Reverend Al Sharpton delivered a passionate eulogy in which he called for federal action through the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. How many funerals do we have to have before we tell the Congress and the Senate that you've got to do something in these times. It's been nearly two weeks since Andrew Brown was killed by deputies as they carried out a warrant. His family has seen some body camera footage, but they want to see more, and a judge delayed the public release of that video. Evidence suggests he was shot from behind. Uh, so it was several felony drug warrants, and it's been a few weeks since this report. And uh, Andrew Brown uh, looked like he was using his car as a deadly weapon. We now have that body camera footage. Authorities, the district attorney has opted not to press charges. And it seems pretty obvious here that he potentially wanted to kill a cop with his car. First shot was clearly fired uh, as the car was proceeding right at an officer. So after all the lawyers left and the media left, they have the facts, they have the body camera footage, multiple cameras, by the way, and it was a pretty straightforward decision for the district attorney. I find that the facts of this case clearly illustrate the officers who used deadly force on Andrew Brown Jr. did so reasonably and only when a violent felon used a deadly weapon to place their lives in danger. Reasonably and only when a violent felon used a deadly weapon and placed their lives in danger. All that media hype, all of that virtue signaling, and now finally that assessment, factual assessment. All right, now this. Black lives do matter. Not the way the Black Lives Matter organization seems to think. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop, police officer. No, all lives matter, especially children. And so many of them are dying 
including Sharnez Hill, laid to rest along with her three-month-old daughter, Naziah, the day before Mother's Day. Family says Sharnez always dreamed of becoming a mother. Mother and daughter were gunned down in a hail of bullets at the Belt Atlantic Apartments Complex in Richmond, Virginia in late April. Two groups of rivals shooting at each other. Victims were enjoying a nice weather outside in a courtyard. They were two of five people shot in the incident. The other victim survived. Four suspects now under arrest. Fifth suspect still at large. At the news last night that my granddaughter and great-grandbaby is no longer with us. I've been here before. I lost two kids over in the Gilpin community years, years, years ago. Don't let her go down in vain. Don't let her memories just be memories, but let it be an occasion for us to make a difference. Thank you. Again, Barack Obama, left-leaning politicians all over the place. You could be making a difference right now and calling for an end to the violence. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Shonez Hill and Isaiah, we're very, very sorry. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. So, the big protest slash riot at Capitol Hill on January 6th of this year. Yeah, it was bad. Some people broke the law. But if you notice that the left and the media, they're acting like this is uh, Pearl Harbor and September 11th all wrapped up into one. Some of the rhetoric has been totally over the top. And we're uncovering new evidence all the time that shows that some of the key people that we've been hearing most about did nothing wrong, or at least they didn't break anything or hurt anybody. Take a look at this. Like our First Amendment allows, gather more Americans under the condition that they will come and gather peacefully to discuss what needs to be done to save our country. This must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. Now there's the horns guy, possibly the most recognized figure in all of this. His real name is Jacob Chansley. And I'm joined now by his attorney. Albert Watkins has been re representing Jacob Chansley. Uh, and also we have with us Julie Kelly, senior contributor for The American Greatness, a conservative online news publication. Welcome to you both. And first, Mr. Watkins, attorney for Jacob Chansley. Uh, again, sir, welcome. And your client is still in custody. And that just does not seem right. It has been so many months. What's going on here? Yeah, we have a situation in America today where we are emulating gulags from the Soviet Union. The days of the Soviet Union have passed, but not, not in our country. My client did nothing violent. He stole nothing. He was not assaultive. He was not threatening. He was peaceful. He was supportive of law enforcement. And in fact, we unearthed video Video footage of a high-ranking Capitol Police officer giving permission 
to my client to enter the capital, provided he was peaceful. This is now the 130th day my client sits in solitary confinement. He had no weapon. He made no threats. He was not violent. He did not steal. He called for peace. He helped police thwart a theft in the capital. He is not a violent man. And here we are in this great country dealing with and addressing the reality that we are putting people like Mr. Chansley, who are not violent, were not violent, with a zero criminal history, in jail, in solitary confinement for 130 days, while a government makes misleading statements, misrepresentations, and now we've come to find out, out and out lies about my client not having permission to walk in the cattle. Yeah. We have to provide the video to the government. Look, we've seen the video. I've seen cops allowing people into the Capitol. I saw that little uh, smaller officer removing the French barricades. I've seen it. I'm just like, why can't you get a judge to see all this stuff? Because well, I agree with you. It sounds it's totally outrageous. It's very Soviet-esque. What's going well, what's on? How can you fix this? Well, it's really scary. That government, that government that's our government has the duty and the responsibility to disclose this video to every criminally accused. We gave it to the government. They have not given it out to the other defendants' counsel. We had to make sure it went public. And this is not just an image of police moving barricades. This is a high-ranking Capitol Police officer stating from his own yeah. mouth that, yes, you may come in if you're peaceful. So your client, I've, I've seen all kinds of footage. Hey, let's face it. He did some things he shouldn't have done that day. He did apologize. I want to put that apology up. I think we have it. Jacob Chansley's apology. He's made it clear that he regrets what he did. Can we put it up on the screen if we have it? If not, that's okay. Here we go. I deeply regret and am very sorry I entered the Capitol building on January 6, 2021. I should not have been there, period. I am sorry for having aroused fear in the hearts of others. That was wrong, period. Okay, he's showing contrition. Uh, all right, finally, I, what's next? How do you how do you finish this? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, what, what's going to have to happen here is we have to be very cognizant of the reality that these people need compassion. We need to now face up to the reality that the government is not being forthcoming and transparent and candid. And every single defendant and every single defendant's counsel has to scream from the highest mountain that we are not a gulag. We are not a nation state that allows for this type of treatment of nonviolent offenders. Right. Period. Ever. Finally, sir, I have heard some attorneys make noise about, well, President Trump is responsible for some of the things that he said uh, in the run-up to January 6th. I personally do not accept that, and I point to January 6th, where he specifically said, rap. He specifically said, march peacefully and patriotically. Are you using President Trump as part of your defense? No, but I have to be candid with you. My client, who loved and adored Trump, still loves and adores Trump, but he's really disappointed. He's disappointed because he feels like he has been left behind. But he understands. And he's not backing down on his belief that Trump had great things and plan this country. But whether he was pro-Trump 
or anti-Trump. We're talking about America with a gulag, with people being yeah. held in solitary confinement because they didn't think what other people wanted them. It's to totally, think. it's totally unacceptable, sir. Uh, good luck. Uh, uh, send your client uh, my best wishes. Yes, I am sending him my best wishes. I I think he should not have acted that way. However, he apologized, and I didn't see him break anything or hurt anybody. And this is way too much. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. I'd like to bring in my Julie. Friend. You bet. Uh, Julie Kelly now, senior contributor for the American Greatness, the conservative online news publication. Uh, Julie, uh, <laughs> this should not be happening in America. It absolutely should not be. I, I do want to say something about Mr. Watkins, though. He uh, uh, has, in a recent interview, uh, compared the propaganda over the past four years to Hitler-ish propaganda. He also said some very unkind things about uh, defendants to January 6th that I don't think are helpful or kind or necessary. So I think that it's important that I say that. that since I've just followed him up on this interview. But look, there are a lot of people like Mr. Chansley and other protesters who are caught up uh, not only in the moment, but as you saw in that video, we actually published it on American Greatness, um, that they felt like they were entitled and allowed to be there. So my question is, since Mr. Chansley and so many protesters face trespassing and disorderly conduct charges after the fact, why didn't police officers immediately arrest them while they were there? Why did they allow them to enter the building, go into the Senate chambers, be outside, go through the building. And now the FBI is on a nationwide manhunt trying to track down people who thought that they were there lawfully. Um, and so this is a, a real problem. Uh, and now the FBI has made it such a priority on every field office's website and Twitter address, you have these suspects, the FBI's most wanted. I mean, it's very, very dramatic. And it seems to be, and if you go through their social media publications, this is their top priority, finding anybody who was there on that day. And of course, you know that the Brian Sicknick story was essentially a lie. He was not killed by being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. He was, uh, well, he died of natural causes. Uh, that's right. And the FBI, I think it's just embarrassing. And what a message to our enemies, both here and abroad, that our FBI is so fixated on tracking down, you know, target grandmas who and, and plastering their face on their social media account. You're, you talked about Brian Sicknick, a huge lie fabricated, not just by the U.S. Capitol Police, but also by the New York Times. The two men charged with spraying him uh, with pepper spray, not bear spray, as we were originally told, those two men uh, were arrested in March. They remain behind bars, denied bail. I listened into a court hearing last week where a Reagan-appointed judge refused to let either man leave before a pending trial including one man whose family put up a $15 million bond package. Yeah. Now, there's no evidence that that spray even hit Officer Sicknick. It certainly had nothing to do with his untimely, tragic death at the age of 42. Uh, but what we have now, Greg, as you know, are political prisoners being held hostage uh, by their own government and by Joe Biden's Justice Department. We referred to this earlier, and I want to just make sure everybody sees it again. They need to be reminded what President Trump said on January 6th to the peacefully assembled people in front of him uh, when he addressed the crowd. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. 
peacefully and patriotically, uh, <laughs> clear as day. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the media are not even curious about this anymore. They seem to want to believe the worst about these people or they just don't care. Well, I think that the narrative was orchestrated very early, actually, that day, that this was an armed insurrection. That's another thing that there is no proof of. No one has been arrested with carrying a firearm into the Capitol building that day. Yeah, no one was armed. Um, and so no one was armed and no one has been right. charged Nobody with had a firearm. and no one has been charged with insurrection, which, by the way, is a chargeable offense. But since no one did it, they can't charge anybody with it. Um, it's it's really fascinating that this is happening and very sad. We have to leave it there to be continued for sure. Julie Kelly from The American Greatness. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Greg. You bet. We'll be right back. The great state of Mississippi, where I used to live, has decided that um, there should be a 15-week abortion ban. That sounds great. Uh, a step in the right direction. The Supreme Court is taking this up, and that is, I believe, good news for Governor Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome to Newsmax. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Greg, thanks for having me on tonight. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, your reaction when you heard, I guess it wasn't a huge surprise that the Supreme Court wanted to take this up. Well, it may, may or may not have been a huge surprise, but it's certainly a great day for those of us who are pro-life. Uh, it's a great day for those of us who, who believe in protecting the sanctity of life. Uh, this gives us an opportunity to, uh, to get before the Supreme Court and, and, and present the facts. You know, Greg, the facts are that Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. The Casey case was decided in 1992. Uh, we know so much more about the development of young unborn children today than we did in 1992, much less 1973. And so we think it's long past due that the court take a look at the fact that the science has changed and it is time to review uh, their decision. Uh, the moment where uh, I think this was uh, was signed and your predecessor, there's a kind of an interesting moment here. I'd like to run that clip. Uh, litigation was highly anticipated. Uh, you guys are ready for a fight. Well, well there's no question. You know, the, the fact of the matter is in 2016, literally millions and millions of pro-life Americans went to the polls and voted for President Trump. When they voted for President Trump, they were voting to see uh, additional Supreme Court justices appointed by President Trump. He did exactly that. But, Greg, I want to be clear. Make no mistake. The court... The United States Supreme Court decided to hear this not because the court has changed, but because the science has changed. We know so much more today about when the heartbeat begins in unborn children, and we can detect that. We know the rate at which the brain develops today. We know when the lungs have uh, reached their main airways, and we know when babies begin to practice breathing. Because of that, this is the perfect time for the court to review it, and we believe that we have a great opportunity for the court to rule favorably, which ultimately will save the lives of millions and millions and millions uh, of babies across America. And 15 weeks, by the way, I mean, that's almost that's almost four months. That's after the first trimester. Um, you know, women are, are showing at that point, I believe. And the idea of an abortion is rather horrific for many of us to consider. There, there is no doubt about that. You and I. I strongly agree on that issue, on that topic. 
as well as millions and millions of Americans uh, believe that way. And we're just very hopeful that the court will rule favorably in this case. Uh, while I would personally like to see Roe v. Wade overturned, um, that's something that's important. That's not the specific issue here. Um, this, this is about late, uh, late uh, trimester um, abortions. And it's about can the baby live outside the womb? And there's no question at this point in time that the organs have been developed, the key organs have been developed, the brain has been developed, uh, lungs and the main airways have been developed. And so we need to protect these unborn children. This is Joe Biden speaking about the abortion issue during the campaign. Uh, he may be speaking in, in, in some sort of code here at times, but I'd like to play it for you. I support a woman's right to choose. I support it's a constitutional right. I've supported it. I will continue to support it. And I will, in fact, move as president to see to that the Congress legislates that that is the law. What are your particular plans to protect women's reproductive rights in the U.S.? The only thing, the only responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. That's what I would do. Row the law of the land. I get what is it's uh, when he talks about legislation. Uh, what does that mean? Well, well, that's the key point here, Greg. Um, Roe is not law of the land. Right. The, the Supreme Court made a decision in 1973 uh, based upon their interpretation of the Constitution. The United States Congress has had 50 years to codify that language, should they have chosen to do so, and they haven't. And that's why this is the perfect time for the court to review that case. After 50 years, the science has changed. Uh, we know so much more uh, about the development of unborn children. And the more and more we find out, the more and more the science is clear that these unborn children uh, should be protected. Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi, thank you so much for joining us. By the way, real quick as we say goodbye, where in Mississippi are you from originally? I grew up in Florence, Mississippi, just southeast of Jackson. How about you said you lived here? Whereabouts? I was in Meridian uh, for two years during flight school, and uh, I just loved everything about my experience and time there. So uh, thank you, and uh, it's great to meet you, uh, Governor. Well, NAS Meridian's a great place. Thank you for your service to our country. All right. My pleasure. We'll be right back. Well, for many decades, if you wanted to go to college in America, you had to take the SAT or the ACT. That is changing in big ways. More than half of the country's four-year colleges and universities dismissed the ACT or the SAT for the fall of 2021. You don't have to take the test to get in, including the University of California, perhaps one of the best state university systems in the country. Uh, blacks and Hispanics said this was discriminatory, the test. However, a lot of folks are wondering, is this ultimately discriminatory uh, to other people, including Asians who tended to do very well on this test? I'd like to bring in Kenny Hsu. He is the author of An Inconvenient Minority, and he is the host of the Inconvenient Minority with Kenny Hsu podcast. Welcome. And Bill Evers, he led the Trump transition team on education issues. He is a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. Welcome to you both, Kenny. Quite frankly, this is happening so quickly, and I don't think they've thought through the, all the ramifications. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I wanted to give you... I wanted to give you an example of what happens when you kill the SAT. When you kill the SAT, a poor student, and I, I talk about this in my book, An Inconvenient Minority, 
A poor student who otherwise would not be recognized in his high school, who would otherwise not have a motivation to go to college. Uh, the SAT enables a poor student uh, to be recognized, to be, to be able to compete with even rich students in Greenwich, Connecticut, or San Francisco, or Palo Alto. Uh, it enables you know, a kid uh, who doesn't know his own self-worth to be able to recognize, wow, I am actually intelligent. And when you get rid of the SAT, what are you going to start admitting on? Are you going to start admitting on extracurriculars? Are you going to start admitting on holistic personality scores? Uh, those things bias heavily in favor of the rich. So actually, if you actually want true equity, if you really want real achievement, uh, you should keep the SAT. You shouldn't get rid of it. Yeah, aptitude. It's the scholastic aptitude test, not achievement test. It's like how your potential to do academic work. Uh, Bill Evers, your thoughts, please. Well, it does, it does uh, register achievement, too, though. If you're, if you're doing well in class, they try to match the, both companies, ACT and SAT, the college board, try to match the tests to the kind of things that are done in classrooms so it reflects classroom learning. I think the key thing to understand here is that there's some kind of mob pressure political pressure on the UC decision makers to get them to go along with this settlement. It's in 2020, a faculty task force did an over 200 page report that found that these tests predicted freshman grades, they predicted final GPA, they predicted staying on and not dropping out. They, they predicted graduation rates. They're a fabulous tool. They're knowledge that helps the university pick good students. And exactly what uh, my colleague here said, it helps find kids that would otherwise be lost in the shuffle. And look, forgive me for if this is stereotypical, but it, Kenny, you know, um, Asians are, are, are viewed as a group that does particularly well on standardized testing. And for all of the rhetoric and all of the hand-wringing I hear about how Asians are treated in America right now, this seems like a real concrete blow and potentially quite prejudicial um, to Asian, Asian students. Well, that's exactly it, Greg. Um, you know, the, the, the test and the elimination of the test it's going to hurt Asian Americans more than anybody, uh, I would say, because Asian Americans tend to do well in these sorts of exams. By the way, a lot of Asian Americans don't come from privileged backgrounds. They view performance on standardized tests as their way up, their, their ability to, 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 to get a good education in life. And their parents who love them just want them to have the best education they can. And they use these standardized metrics um, to, to show, hey, we are capable, we are apt. We may not fit your so-called desired personality or your desired person. Uh, you may want somebody of a different race, but guess what? We're just as competent as anybody else and we're here to prove it. This is wild, this is so significant uh, and I, I don't think it should be happening. Bill Evers, uh, you mentioned they're giving into the mob. Is there any movement on the other side to restore sanity uh, to this conversation? Because it looks like the train has left the station. Well, we had a, an attempt to try to restore affirmative action in public institutions, uh, which, which has gotten rid of by the UNS initiative many years ago. And there was an attempt in the last election cycle to bring it back. The people who fought that are still around. And there are lots of people who favor merit 
in, including college professors. I mean, after all, this is a liberal faculty at the University of California, and they supported this report of uh, this 200-page report. And one of the points is, with all the grade inflation that goes on, mm. how are they going to accurately pick the qualified students? And it particularly goes on in well-to-do high schools. If they if they only rely on grades, there'll be pressure for even more grade inflation. Well, I am so not shocked. They're, they're, I'm yeah, not shocked that a bunch of liberal professors made a bad decision. We're going to have to leave it there for now. Bill Evers, we appreciate it so much. And Kenny Shu, please check out his podcast, An Inconvenient Minority with Kenny Shu. Gentlemen, thank you. We will be right back. Hey, Ben Stein, you know him, uh, economist. Uh, oh, and great author. I think this is his 80th book, published by Humanix. The Capitalist Code, it can save your life and make you very rich. Ben Stein, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you, sir? Congratulations. I, enjoy, I just want to say I enjoyed your last segment so much. I can hardly tell you this, what's happening here in California about not requiring the SATs is an actual catastrophe. It's an actual educational catastrophe. This system of telling people that they do not have to be smart, they don't have to be studiers, they don't have to know anything, they can get into schools anyway, is degrading and demolishing the whole educational system of America. So, uh, terrible. Uh, ben, tell us about the new book, though. I'd like to get rich. Well, it's a re-release of a, of a book I, ca I came out with about a year ago, the main credit of which is that I sent it to Warren Buffett, who's been a longtime friend, and I've invested with him for a long time. And he said, there is not a word in here I would change or disagree with. What it mainly says is that by buying the indexes, the, the S&P index, the Dow Jones index, or even larger indexes, you can essentially become a businessman, become an owner in the American system, and you can let it carry you and glide, glide, you can glide upon it for the rest of your life. And it, you do not have to be a businessman. You can be a civil servant, you can be a teacher, you can be a soldier, <clears throat> you can be anything, but you can become a businessman and a business owner and get to be rich or at least well-to-do and your expenses covered in your retirement just yeah. by getting on that wave. Fabulous. We don't have to buy the book. You just told us. No, there's you a lot really of good stuff. <laughs> ben, we're going to buy the book. I'm going to buy a copy right now. I'll download it. Ben He's Stein. watch me on the world according to Ben Stein on the internet. <clears throat> we talk a lot about how to make inflation work for you. Awesome. Ben Stein, sorry we ran out of time. It went a little bit heavy earlier. Thank you, Ben Stein. All the Pleasure best. Sir. Have a great night, everybody.